Hi, everybody. It is great to be with you. Hope you're enjoying the weather. I certainly am. It's absolutely gorgeous sitting out there this afternoon. Chilled. It's wonderful. I've got a question for you this evening. And the question is quite simple. You're all here, so you've probably got an opinion about church. But I want you to think about what is, what does a good church look like? What properties does a good church have? What does it, what does it feel like? What does it do? How do they behave? Um, now, you might say, oh, it's just HTC. That's the perfect church. We're already done and dusted. Um, you may not. Um, could you turn to your neighbor and just chat about what you love to see in a church? What would mean that, you know, what would be so good about that church that you wouldn't, you'd hate to miss a Sunday? Talk to your neighbor. Thanks. Okay, just hold those in your minds as we continue this evening. I went back and I did um, go and have a sip of my coffee and I heard one good thing, which all good churches have, which I heard somebody say, good snacks. So obviously that's number one. Um, well, one of the things that um, as I was growing up, I really liked to do was to play top trumps. Anybody play top trumps? Hands up if you know what it is. Keep your hands up if you've played it. Keep your hands up if you've played many different categories of game. Good. Lots of people like top trumps. Um, well, this, uh, this is an example category of top trumps. If we have the first slide up, please. A really niche one for the farming community. So the idea is you get dealt out cards. And then for whatever category it is, here is tractors. Then, um, then you, um, you say what number you think, everything is numerically categorized, and you say what number you think will beat all other cars. So if you had the JCB and you said power of two, three, five, you would win the other two cards. If you said uh, length of um, wheelbase three meters, the uh, Dow in the middle would beat it because that's four meters long. That is a big tractor. Anyone share an interest in tractors like I do? Wow. Okay. Actually, I, sorry, I, I'm, I know I'm in church, but I was lying. I don't have an interest in tractors. So, guys, you're on your own here. Um, but I'm going to go church geek now on you because as I grew older and... Um, um, felt called to be ordained and went to training. I got so excited about this category. Next slide. There is a church, a cathedral top trump. It is amazing. It's here. Anyone can have a look if you like. We'll, uh, pass it around. But here, of course, at last I could find out, maybe it was very early on in my training, what makes for a good church. I'm not sure it's going to help me too much. Um, height of church is obviously key as well. So um, probably Liverpool is around there somewhere, but you can't quite see the number. But certainly Ely is higher than Chester. Um, so we had height of church, age of church, character, global fame, and then the top trump rating is a combination of all of them together. Um, and I'm not quite sure how character was measured. That's, that's very interesting. Um, 
So unless when you were talking, you all decided what we need in a church is we need a really old church. If you need a really old church, get yourself up to Chester. Uh, 660, it was established up in Chester, uh, just near North Wales. So actually, I don't think, I came to the conclusion, I don't think cathedral top trumps is going to help us in what makes for a good church. So I think actually we're going to turn tonight to a more conventional source. Um, Call me old-fashioned in church, but we're going to turn to the Bible. And um, the passage we have tonight is a brilliant passage that I hope that we're going to get so much from tonight. Um, It's from and it's about one of the first churches that formed as Christianity spread out from its original home in Jerusalem. That being this church in Antioch, now in modern-day Syria. So already in our studying of Acts in this sermon series, we've seen Christianity start from Jerusalem, spread out to Judea and Samaria. And then we saw uh, where the Ethiopian um, government official was baptized from Philip, and then it spread into Africa because of that, which is amazing and brilliant. And here we are in Antioch, which is north of Jerusalem. But what can we learn from our passage about a successful church? So let's hear our reading, please, Tim, from Acts 11 and Acts 13. Do Please do get a Bible from wherever you find them, in the pews, or feel free to use your Bible app on your phones. Hello. Um, this, the reading is uh, Acts 11, 19 through 30, and then Acts 13, verse 1 through 3. The church in Antioch. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged, and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him and brought him to Antioch, um, he brought him to Antioch, So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Tim, for doing that reading. Now, um, some of the verses will, as I talk about individual verses, they'll pop up on the screen as well. But if you want to keep your Bibles open, you might find it helpful too. So if we look at the last three verses that we saw being read and start to think about this passage and what it tells us about a good church, in that first verse there, it says, Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who was brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. First thing to learn, this church was a real mix of racial and social and economic and educational backgrounds. Barnabas and Lucius were from Cyprus. Simeon, called Niger, was of African origin. Manian was from Herod's royal palace. He was super posh. Saul was from a hugely religious Jewish background. This was probably the first multicultural church with people from different countries and backgrounds. And so actually it's uh, no, no surprise to us that in uh, chapter 11, verse 26, Luke wrote, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Those people around them couldn't identify them as being Jewish anymore because they were such a mixture of people. But also, and possibly for a really positive reason also, those surrounding them in Antioch were hearing a message that was so new, so different, and was changing lives. And these new people needed a new name. Hence, they were called Christians, those people belonging to Christ, the people of Christ. Then also we see in chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, we see that the church there was a worshipping and praying church. Just before the service, we were praying, and I would, just dawned on me 2,000 years ago, Christians were gathering in Antioch, and they were probably praying and worshipping just as we are. Sometimes we think that the Bible is uh, disconnected from us, but individuals were gathering in that hustling, bustling city where so much was against them, but they were just praying and wanting to worship and learn from God. So this multicultural church is now also a worshipping and praying church. Uh, notice too that they also listened to the Holy Spirit and that they sent out people to take good news of Jesus beyond their own people with that sending out of Saul and Barnabas. Then look at verse 20 in chapter 11. It says there that they, they were basically an evangelical church. They, were talk, they just couldn't help but want to talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus. It says, they began to speak to Greeks also. And this may have been for the first time as recorded in Acts. Prior to this, we would, the disciples and the followers of Jesus were talking to people who already knew the Jewish background. And now we're talking to Greeks, Greeks who would have followed multiple gods in the Greek, um, in the Greek tradition. So now Christians in Antioch were talking about Jesus who worshipped those many Greek gods. It says, the, and 
it was effective. It said in verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Then next in verse 26, we can see that uh, there was a great deal of teaching being done by Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul committed a year to teaching that church. These new Christians had a thirst, though, for knowledge, a thirst to want to know more about Jesus. So this was a learning church. Then next we saw that part where there was a famine that was predicted, was prophesied. And this famine spread over particularly the area of Israel and Judea, and particularly in Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem suffered. Well, how did the church in Antioch react? With loving and care. They really wanted to help the whole church, including those back in Jerusalem. And so they collected money and had it sent out to that church. So already in this passage, we have seen so much that this church in Antioch did that made it an attractive church. And we've already seen twice in our passage, it says more and more people became Christians. We saw that it was multicultural. It was worshipful. It was prayerful. It was evangelical. It wanted to send out the good news of Jesus. They were eager to learn, and they were loving and caring to others. How many of you said that when you were talking to each other? That's the church I'd like to belong to. Now, there's one more amazing character of this church that I want us to look at for the rest of our time this evening. And it's an amazing and important thing that I want, I, that was so needed in this church in Antioch, but also I think should be needed in every church since. A factor that I'd love to see more and more. This is seen in verses 23 to 24. This is the gift that God brought via this young man, Barnabas, to this young church in Antioch. So Barnabas was sent by the church in Jerusalem to Antioch to see what was going on. And look what he does when he gets there. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. The key word here is the word encouraged. Barnabas encouraged them. Now, if you had had, if you've got a whole load of Bibles, we could have sat here with loads of different translations of Bibles. And a translation of a Bible, the Bible wasn't written in English. I hate to, you know, if, if you thought it was written in English, then I'm sorry to shatter your illusions. It was written in Greek, and Acts was written by Luke, who also wrote Luke's Gospel. And then it's translated into the modern language for each generation of Christians over the last two millennium. And that's why we get new translations each time, because English changes, and all languages morph over time. That's why we have multiple translations. Well, if we had multiple translations and we started looking up this verse, actually that word encouraged would be translated differently in, different, in lots of different Bibles. Now, whenever that happens, it's because the translators are really struggling to try and get an essence of what the original author meant. So that word that Luke wrote, some of the translations translate it as says Barnabas exhorted them. Another said he urged them. Another, he threw himself in with them. 
And so this means that this word is so valuable that it's worth looking at. So we're going to look at that word a little bit. That word, that Greek word, is actually parakaleo. There it is. It's made up of two parts. And please bear with me on this. This is really good stuff, okay? Parakaleo. The second part, kaleo, means call or instruct. The first part means to come alongside someone. If you remember your maths classes, parallel lines are two lines that go alongside each other. Yeah, they travel with each other. That's the para bit. So that means coming alongside and kaleo to call or instruct. So this is an amazing sort of Barnabas is being gentle and strong at the same time. Barnabas had this amazing talent of instructing people in truth, but also at the same time caring for them and coming to them and traveling with them. I think that's just amazing. And we don't quite have that word in English. Barnabas had truth and love in equal measures. He could call or instruct them but in the same way, he walked with them. And I think that's amazing, isn't it, as well? He didn't expect them to come to him. He went to them in Antioch, and he walked with them. And that's something that I think we can learn as Christians. We can't, if we want our church to grow, we can't just sit here and expect people to come here. We all go out in the world, don't we? Monday to Saturday. And we all are Christians in the world. And we all witness to his love in how we act, in how we behave, and in how we talk. So in this passage, encouragement is not a bad word. But it just misses out so much. There's just so much more to that word, parakaleo. Barnabas' ability to come alongside people. And then with that love for people, to be able to talk and speak truth to them. Now, this balance is key. And this is the nature, I believe, that we're being asked to do as members of the worldwide church. But also the nature we so need for those people around us. We need people around us who speak with love and truth into our situation. If you think about some of your best friends you've ever had, or hopefully still have, maybe you recognize Parakaleo in them. You know that they love you. You know that they want nothing but best, the best for you. And yet these good same friends, actually maybe because they love you, can sometimes tell you really hard truths. These truths are sometimes so hard for us to hear, but we know they're right and they're said out of love. Because of love, our best friends know that it is good for us to hear these truths. Or maybe for you, the person with the ability in your life to speak truths with love, maybe a brother or a sister or a son or daughter or a husband or wife. Maybe that person is sitting with you here now in church. For me, it's my wife, Claire, who with such love tells me truths about myself that if she didn't love me, I know I'd find it very difficult to hear. <laughs> this is the ability that Barnabas had. And where does that gift come from? Look at the next verse, verse 24. He was a good man, 
full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. He was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. The Holy Spirit enabled him to speak in love and truth in perfect balance. He had the Holy Spirit with him, guiding him in love and truth. And he has faith, trusting in God's grace and goodness for him and for others. But what happens when that truth and love are not in balance? Consider these two extremes. What if there's too much para and not enough kaleo? What if there's just love and no truth? Then people will tell others what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Then we're missing out on knowing the truth. Here we feel hollow love. Or there's the opposite extreme, where there's not enough para and there's too much kaleo. Here words of truth given without love and empathy are harsh and can feel cruel and can be rarely heard and acted upon. Here we feel condemned and belittled. But parakaleo is what we're all called to do. In Hebrews 3.13, the author says, but encourage one another daily so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, some of you may have been thinking, since the moment I introduced this word parakaleo, that it sounds familiar. Maybe you've heard a very similar Greek word in other sermons here or in other churches. Now, parakaleo is the verb form for the word that some of you may be thinking about now. The word you may have heard before, the, the, before in the noun for, version of this verb parakaleo. This verb and noun, think of it a bit like um, there's the verb to kick, to kick a ball. I kick the ball. The noun for this verb is kicker. For example, the kicker scored a goal. It's not brilliant English, and I was trying to think of a better example. But you have a noun version, the thing that's doing the thing, or you have a verb, the action. And it's the same in Greek. So let me show you what the noun is for this verb, parakaleo, and show you it being used in the New Testament. John wrote in John 14, Jesus' words. He recorded Jesus' words to his disciples. And there Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Here in this verse is the noun form of the word that we've been looking at today. It's that word our Bible translates as advocate. And this is the word paraclete. This is the word that Jesus uses again and again to mean the Holy Spirit. Like parakaleo, this name can be translated in many different ways. The Bible translates it as counselor, him as counselor, intercessor, helper, friend, one who encourages, comforter. Again, that noun paraclete has the, such richness like parakaleo. I hope you've kept up with me because the Holy Spirit's name, paraclete, is also made of para, meaning he comes alongside us, and then kaleo, meaning he instructs us. Notice through, though, in the verse from John 14, the word just before paraclete, advocate, there's another word just before it. Why does Jesus say, 
Why doesn't he just say, I will give you an advocate to help you? He says, I will give you another advocate to help you. Why did he say another? Well, it must be because this isn't the, f the only advocate. So who is the first advocate that Jesus means when he's talking about another advocate coming? Well, John, as an old man in his first letter, would show us the answer to this question using exactly that same word, advocate. In 1 John 2 verse 1, he wrote, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus speaks on our behalf with the Father. He is the first advocate. He speaks to a Father who longs to welcome us home as forgiven people. Forgiven by all, forgiven by all, for everything. And forgiven through the first advocate, Jesus, and everything he did as he died for us. Jesus knew that he had to ascend to the Father to send the second advocate, the Holy Spirit, to his disciples. It says in John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. These are the words of Jesus. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, John the disciple knew this because he had lived with the first advocate, Jesus, for three years as he traveled through Israel on his mission to, on earth. And then he saw Jesus die and rise from the dead and ascend to the Father. And then John received, and we remembered this last Sunday, John received the Holy Spirit, the second advocate, on Pentecost. Isn't this amazing that we have two advocates on our side? We have Jesus who speaks for us with the Father. We have Jesus who speaks with us on the Father. And we then have the Holy Spirit who speaks to us about the Father. We have Jesus who speaks for us, and we have the Holy Spirit that speaks about the Father to us. What love is that? You and I have Jesus on our side, and we have the Holy Spirit who comes alongside us to guide us, to instruct us, to walk with us through all life can throw at us, to encourage us. This makes all the difference to how we consider life. It makes all the difference to know that we are loved, that we have Jesus seeking out and speaking for us, and we have the Holy Spirit traveling with us through life. With the God of the universe on our side and with us, we don't need to find our value in what other people think of us. We don't need to find our value in what... in, in how, just how everybody thinks of us, but because we, we know that we're loved by Jesus and God. This is a freedom, knowing that God is with us. A freedom that enables us all to be like Barnabas. We can all be Barnabases. Knowing that we are loved ourselves allows us to then love others. And loving others as we come alongside them, like Barnabas, to love each other 